Hello, and welcome to the Girls Going Corporate podcast, where we discuss all things career networking to empower you to go after your dream career. My name is Rosa Stansel. Today, I'm joined by Lindsay Dyson, who is a Vice President National Account Executive at Deloitte. In this episode, we discuss what it's actually like to be in a high-level leadership position in corporate, what it takes to get there, the importance of the different seasons of your life, and so much more. So without further ado, let's get into the interview. Hi, Lindsay, and welcome to Girls Going Corporate. Hi, Rosa. Thank you for having me. Of course. I'm so excited to have you on today. I'd love for you to start out by sharing a bit about your background and your career journey that brought you to where you are today. Well, first, I just want to compliment you and Girls Going Corporate podcast. Um, This is amazing. And I'm so excited and honored that you asked me to participate. So great job, you. But mm-hmm. um, so let me tell you a little bit about me. I, 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 I tell people that I have a unicorn past because I didn't, um, I didn't take a straight path. I always had a little windy path, right? And so I always encourage people to take the windy path and not be scared of it. But, um, but my Currently, I am a vice president in uh, the retail space at Deloitte, and Deloitte is a first and foremost uh, professional services for- firm that started as an accounting firm that does audit and tax, and then um, also has a very large consulting arm. I'm in the consulting arm, and specifically, I focus on retail, and specifically, I focus on Oracle retail, and Oracle is a software um and hardware company. It's a technology company. And I was uh, focused um, prior to Deloitte in at Oracle um, selling Oracle retail applications. And so I'll give you an example. So how do you get the women's small short sleeve white, uh, white t-shirt v-neck in the store in Raleigh, North Carolina in April? Because Rosa normally uh, based on historical data, buys that um, that type of a shirt um, in that store every year. And so I sell the predictive software. I sell the item creation software. I sell the point of sale, the cash register software. So that's what I did at Oracle. And what was nice about the migration to, um, to Deloitte was that I actually um, had, they needed somebody who had retail expertise they needed someone that had Oracle expertise. They needed someone that, um, that had sales expertise. And um, and it, frankly, um, you're going to find in life that in the professional world, they're looking for women. They're looking for diversity. So um, so I, I kind of hit all these um, buckets for them. And, um, and so it's been a nice migration. Prior to Oracle, I was at a company called SAS which is the largest privately held software company in the world. It's a focus on um, advanced analytics. Prior to that, I actually was in nonprofit professional services while I was a director of marketing and development. Um, And we were focused on redesigning uh, public high schools for underserved high poverty districts throughout North Carolina and across the country. So it was a real passion project for me. I also raised my three children while I was there. Um, which I'll get into later, but it was a blessing to be able to be, um, have my career continue as well as be the the mom, be the 
great parent, be the doing, you know, volunteering in the school, doing the fall festival and all of that. So prior to that, I was at Ernst & Young. Um, and then my first, my first job really was at uh, Hyatt Hotels, where I did the corporate management training. And I actually did six-week rotations across all the different departments. And so I did executive departments. Then I also did room service and I did catering and I did housekeeping. So I cleaned toilets for six weeks. I cleaned sheets for six weeks. I was in stewarding. So I cleaned dishes for six weeks. So it was a really great first job out of college in that I was very blessed in my upbringing and it really taught me how to appreciate every single role in a company. And I would recommend it for everyone who gets the chance to do a corporate management training program. Um, and personally, I have three children, 23, 21, 17-year-olds, um, a boy and two girls, and, um, and then married 25 years. So um, that's a little bit about me and my background. Awesome. And I love that you touched on the importance of having that windy path and how that's really actually been such a good thing for you um, in the long run, but also just from the start, how good it's been for you to sort of be exposed to different areas. I think that's super important just because sometimes it feels like we can't do that and we have to take the narrow path. So that's always super refreshing to hear. Um, but you are the first VP we've had on Girls Going Corporate so I'd love for you to share, you know, what does that actually mean to be a vice president at a large company? What does that title really entail in regards to job and leadership responsibilities? Um, because I actually, even myself, don't really know sort of what that sort of high-level position really entails when you make it to that place. No, it's a great question. So when you're at a vice president level and um, that could be, if you're in banking, a lot of vice presidents, right? There's, you know, it could be when you're in, um, you know, other organizations, it, it takes you years and years and years to become that. At Deloitte, um, I'm at uh, a VP senior manager level, which is externally a VP, internally senior manager, which is right under the partner level and partners own the firm. And so it's a very high level. And I came in at that level, was very blessed to come in at that level. But with that, um, I, I kind of bucketed the responsibilities based on how I manage my role, right? So, so first there's responsibility of, of role. I have to get my work done. Um, and I have, and so that's working on Sundays, that's working on Saturdays, that's working in the evenings if I have West Coast colleagues or customers that's working on holidays, right? So I have responsibility of role. So I have to get the job done. I have responsibility uh, of being a leader in that I have to mentor folks. I have to give people opportunities to grow themselves. And I have to um, be mindful of how I represent myself as well as just ethically, more morally, um, as far as leadership um, goes. And then I have a responsibility of gender. And I always take it very seriously. Women in technology fields um, are the minority still. We're growing, but I do have a huge, I do feel like I have a huge responsibility of, of gender representation. Um, not ever to lean, lean on that, 
more to, to shine with that. Um, and so I want to be the one that is the most prepared, the most ready, the, the most practiced, um, the most valued, right? I want to be an integral part of a team. So that's kind of how I bucketed the responsibility of being in the space that I'm in. Awesome. Yeah, I think that's really great to just have that insight into that level and sort of the realities um, that come with that job, especially as a woman and having to sort of work your way. And like you said, really make sure that you're shining and adding value. Um, And I'm curious, did you always sort of see yourself climbing this corporate ladder and becoming that leader within a company? So I was the kid that said I was going to be the U.S. president when I was young. Mm -hmm. And I was that one that, you know, I grew up Catholic and we, um, there were always altar boys in the Catholic church at the front of the church. And I wrote to the Pope because girls weren't allowed to be altar people then, right? Now they are, they're allowed to be, right? But I was that person that was always asking questions and always saying why. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But again, going back to my curvy path, you know, I have three children. So um, at times in my, in my life, um, I saw myself as being the room mom. At times in my life, I saw myself as being, you know, potentially even a stay home mom. I never had the luxury of doing it. I never even took maternity leave, frankly, because I was um, running my own um, consulting firm at that time. So, so, um, you know, I always knew that I needed corporate affirmation, if you understand what I mean by that. Mm -hmm. I really believe in the love languages and I need that type of affirmation that a job gives me a lot of times. You work hard, you get affirmation, um, you build relationships, you do well at your job. I needed that affirmation. So I guess I said that I I do always, um, I did always see myself with a strong career, you know, with that said, I am coming out and we'll talk about seasons in life in a bit, but I am coming out of a very heavy, intense um, period of of parenting and I'm coming out of it now saying, I really want to focus on my career. I can't wait to see what I can do with this and where I can go. So I'm at this point now, 30 years into my career that I'm ready to really focus on my career, whereas I really have not been able to uh, for the last 23 years, right? So it's an exciting time for me. Awesome. And I think, I mean, you've definitely obviously done well, even with without being able to fully focus. So that's really amazing um, to hear. Um, and just good to hear that even if it's those little instincts when you're younger, that they you will be able to build on them and to just sort of listen to that intuition that you are capable and are willing to really continue um, to sort of get that affirmation and build yourself up to different roles and levels within that sort of corporate setting um, like we've been talking about. Um, And so I'm curious what for you, beside that sort of intuition that you've had throughout, like what skills or attributes that you have that you feel like have enabled you to really make that climb and stand out um, compared to other candidates when you were doing so? So I've always had this challenger mentality and not to be divisive or or controversial in any way, but just to to challenge mindset. And, and that could be spiritually, emotionally, professionally, right? So I've always been that person that asks questions. 
So I would say the people that are the most successful people out there are the ones that are curious. And so I say curiosity is your number one skill that you should really crave. Always ask questions. Make sure that every question that someone asks you, you ask them three questions back. Now, obviously on this podcast, I can't ask you a lot of questions, Rosa, but I have so many <laughs> questions I want to ask you. <laughs> but I do feel like curiosity is 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 huge. Obviously, be that lifelong learner. Be the person that is is consuming podcasts if that's how you consume it. Uh, consume you know books. Take a class at at the local community college and audit it, or you know like be that person that's constantly wanting to learn. And again, it doesn't have to be learning about chemistry or something in STEM. It could be just behavioral learning. Any type of any type of learning and growing, I think, is super important. Language when you're older is important, but um, so I say curiosity. I say let be a lifelong learner. Going back to work ethic. Worth work ethic shows across all of gender, age, demographics. If you show that you're raising your hand every single time it's someone asks, that is um, it's a huge quality that people look like look for um, when they're hiring. Always raise your hand. Always volunteer. Always say I'll take that on. Obviously, don't kill yourself doing it, but. <laughs> Uh, you have to be mindful of that, but I think work ethic is huge. And then the last thing I will say, because it is real, don't let fear stop you because imposter syndrome is real for me every single day. And so imposter syndrome, meaning like, I'm not good enough for this. They'll figure me out. I don't know exactly what I'm talking about with this, or I don't know as, as much as this person knows, or I don't have the background that that person has, or I, I don't have the experience that this person has. Like, don't let that stop you. Like, figure it out. Go say yes, raise your hand and figure it out. Google helps you a lot. Chat GPT, mm -hmm. it can answer a lot of things now. <laughs> so I tell people, own the fact that imposter syndrome is real. Everybody feels insecure. Everybody feels not prepared, but don't let it stop you. Absolutely. And that's so interesting because I think imposter syndrome is, has almost been mentioned by every woman I've had on this podcast. So it definitely is a universal feeling. And I think what's so great too, is the two, you know, attributes that you mentioned are two that don't encompass like something you can learn in school or a skill, you know, hard skill set you have to have. Everybody can have a like a good work ethic and curiosity. If you just put in that extra time to, um, build on your work ethic and raise your hand like you were saying and so I think that's something that's really great is that like you said especially coming in those earlier in their careers a lot of people who listen to this podcast those are things that can really transcend those different boundaries it doesn't matter how old you are whether you've been at the company for two days or 20 years like if you are willing to show up and have those things and stand out in that way because maybe that is the only way you can stand out right now but doing that you know will help you in the long run. So I think that's just really good to hear, especially from someone who's made their way up, that those things still really do matter um, and are good for people to see. They do matter. People see it. People see the people that raise hands. Absolutely. They see it. They, they see it. So yes. 
And then yeah, I also want to ask your hand, you raise your hand for everything, Rosa. So. <laughs> I also want to ask too, because you said you ask a lot of questions and this is something I've asked a few people, but I think it's always good to get different opinions on this is, you know, do you have sort of like a, any tips or like a formula you sort of use to ask a good question? Cause I think that's something that's important mm-hmm. too. Cause I've always also been someone to ask a lot of questions, but I think when you get in the professional environment, you know, everyone's time is so valuable. You can't just ask any question, you know, you sort of, you know, be encouraged to ask questions, but also be mindful with them. So I'm curious sort of um, how you've approached that throughout your career. So I, I want to say 15 years ago, probably I did a workshop around critical conversations and I would recommend that for everyone and just Google, you know, what are, what, you know, what is critical conversations and, you know, what does that look like? And what it does is it flips questions. Whereas some question like, why do you do this process? Right. Makes someone potentially defensive. Right. You could flip it. Hey, I noticed that you have this process. I'm curious what led you to make the decision to have this process and how is it performing for you? Right. So I think critical conversations and how to have critical conversations lead to how to make good decisions on questioning. Awesome. I use, I noticed, I wonder, I'm curious in front of almost all of my questions. When someone starts a question with why, I turn off mm. because they haven't prepared for me, right? And right. I'm not, you know, I, I know I, I know immediately that they're they're gonna come at me as opposed to being curious, being mindful, um, because it really shows. So that's the way I would ask, you know, obviously be the most prepared person in the room. I said that earlier. Come in to every single presentation or every single meeting you have with three questions. Just have them prepped up so that you can be a part of the conversation. I recommend that to everyone. Come in, take your OneNote out or whatever your note tool is and have, knowing the topic of the conversation, know the audience in the room. So if you have to look up every single person on LinkedIn before you come into that meeting room, ask them a personal question, ask a professional question, ask a topical question, but have three questions when you walk in a room. Because a lot of times you make or break your impression by those first few minutes when it's a lot of just casual chit chat while people are joining. You need to be able to talk about something other than the weather. You need to be able to talk about the ball game that happened last night when you have no interest in the ball game, but you may need to. You may need to talk about current events. Gosh, that storm in Miami, really bad, a lot of flooding, you know, come into meetings prepared. I think that's really awesome advice because I think even in interviews, I've heard, you know, sometimes when you show up a little bit early, it's always good to make use of that extra time that you have to really make your impression strong instead of just sitting there and waiting for that time to start. So I think that's awesome advice to really come prepared for those pre, you know, talk or meeting interview questions, but then also post as well. Absolutely. And always have questions at the end of interviews, obviously. (laughs) And then one thing I also really wanted to talk about on today's episode was sort of the perceived narrative of successful women that 
I feel like still does exist, even though we sort of touched on briefly earlier, it's starting to not be as much of a thing. But I just remember when I was growing up and I was always watching movies and I was drawn to the successful woman character working in a nice office and in a big city. But when I look back on those stories, I noticed that if that woman was successful in her career, she was always lacking something else in her life. And it seemed that really no storyline would ever let a woman have it all, um, which is really frustrating. So as a woman that has a family and has other interests outside of work, what is your sort of opinion on this perception now? And how have you managed as you sort of touched on to create that healthy balance while remaining driven and motivated in your career? I'm not sure healthy is, is the right word sometimes, <laughs> but um, what I would say is, and I tell, especially younger women that I'm mentoring, I remind them that there are seasons in life and your early career is a season. Your career while being a parent or being a partner is a season. Your post-parenting career is a season. Your second life, if you choose to pivot in your career after 20 years, is a season. And what I tell everyone is that there's time for all of it. Knock on wood, obviously health and all of that. But there is time for you to have all of it and have all of it fully. And so I say don't shy away from a career because you feel like you can't be a mother. Don't shy away from a partnership, a spouse, a relationship because you can't focus on your career. I say jump in and there's time for all of it, but just remind yourself that there are seasons. Even for me now, I've been working for 30 years and now I'm at the point in my career that I, a lot of my friends are saying, I want to work for a few more years or whatever they want to do. And I'm at a different point. And that's just me personally. I really do want to dig into my career. But, but you know, at this point in their lives, they're saying, I have, you know, I, I want to work for five more years. And they have that season in their life. Mm -hmm. But when I was a parent working with three children, it was a very busy season and I wasn't doing any of it well, or at least I told myself I wasn't doing any of it well. And I just remind people that they're seasons and they're short and enjoy every minute of the 18 years you have home with the, the kids. Do as much as you can during those 18 years, because that's such, if you have a 30, 40 year career, that's not even, you know, it's not even half of it. So enjoy all of it. Um, and there's time for all of it. And I would say this, never be afraid to ask for flexibility. Now with diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives that are everywhere in every corporate environment, every nonprofit environment. DEI is such a benefit for people in the workforce now. Ask for flexibility. Tell people you have to pick up your children at night. Everyone says yes. Since COVID, people have become so much more intimate with each other. They see your dogs. They see your living room. <laughs> they see everything, right? So ask for flexibility, but then know you may have to work a, a, a Saturday or whatever, but go to the baseball game. Don't miss the baseball game. Or for five years, you need to be on a flexible work arrangement. I did a flexible work arrangement when I was at Ernst & Young for seven years. I worked eight months of the year and had four months off. And it was a blessing. I was able to be a mom 
Um, and then when I was in the eight months, I was 30 hours a week. So it was a really great um, benefit for me. And Ernst & Young, I will say, EY, they were so much ahead of the time um, because flexible work arrangements were not everywhere. So I, I will say, don't be afraid to ask for flexibility. Absolutely. I think that's also good to hear because I've never even heard about that being an option. So I think that's really great and a reminder for people to look into those initiatives that different companies offer, even maybe when you're even deciding where you want to go, where you want to start. Um, but I really Absolutely. love that you mentioned the different seasons and how, you know, it's just so it's okay to dive in and give them all you have. And yes, some seasons, something might, you know, be sort of taking the forefront, but that's okay. And to sort of let each season be its own, like you were saying, I think exactly. that's important. It's so important. It is. And I will say this, going back to work ethic, I wouldn't advise people to interview for a job and then ask for a flexible work arrangement. <laughs> <laughs> I would say, put your time in. And that's the benefit of that kind of early career season work yeah. your fannies off, work a lot of hours, pay kind of pay the, 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 the dividend, you know, so that you can get to the dividends of and the benefits of asking for that flexibility, but put your time in, show them that you have the work ethic, show that you're committed. And then people are always um, really, really uh, responsive. And frankly, corporations have to have a certain percentage of flexible work arrangements to show that they are DEI um, um, involved, right? And DEI is supportive. And so, um, you, you, you're going to help them as a, as a, as a number. So just keep that in mind. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I think that's also a good point, especially now and today when, you know, I feel like a lot of people my age, we're seeing everyone sort of have this anti-corporate mindset because everyone's becoming influencers and doing all this stuff. But I think that's important too, to know that there is that stage and that's totally, amazing and okay to also still enjoy that stage where you're working really, really hard in that early career um, to work towards something bigger and better later that can eventually be less, you know, stressful in the moment, but that's still yes. important to have that early stage where you are, you know, working really, really hard. And get, you'll be able to get the benefits of it, right? So you work hard, but I will say this in your early career, that's where you also meet your young adult colleagues and you and you go play golf on weekends and you go to the beach together and you make this whole co new cohort of friends that are separate from college um but you know you all are going to be working 12 hour days together work 12 hour mm -hmm. day with people that are fun right so um so and then i mean i have it all my friends have it they have these lifelong friends that they've been friends with since they were 22 because they worked together and they were in the trenches together so there's Absolutely. benefits of it as well for sure. Definitely a lot to look forward to. Um, so what advice do you have for women starting their careers that also sort of know they really want to eventually work up to a leadership position like a vice president? So that's a great question. I don't think a vice president needs to be a specific goal, but if you say I want to get into leadership specifically, because that could be a different name and different places. Right. But I, I always start with every single place that I work, everywhere I land in a new job, a new role, a new company, I find multiple mentors. My brother, who is just a brilliant man, he says, who's your rabbi going to be? And I'm Catholic, right? So I'm not Jewish, but 
He's like, who is your rabbi? Who's your counsel? Who's the person you can go to and trust, right? Find multiple mentors, find them across genders, across roles, across levels, find people below you that you can help mentor, but also that can support you, find people above you, find people that are peers, create peer groups together, do a happy hour, a virtual happy hour once a month. I, I've started that at my last two companies and I have really close friends now because of it. So find mentors across roles, genders, jobs. So that would be first. Um, and this is something that I learned the hard way in that I was not technical at all coming out of college. I had a double major in Spanish and public relations. Zero technology background, no women in STEM for me. <laughs> I would tell everyone to lean into technology as much as possible, even if it wasn't your major and it's not what you want to do, lean into the technology piece of it, learn applications, learn the foundation, learn how to code, learn how to analyze data, learn the technology and the, and, and the technical side of the business as early as you possibly can. I mean, Roseanne, you're in your space, you and I are both kind of in the retail space. When you, when you, um, you know, become the wonderful retail leader that you're going to become, whether it's design or fashion or whatever it is, find, you know, find the CAD drawings, find the design software, find the retail software, the application software, find that software, find the technology piece, do the analysis, really dig in, even though it's not maybe your first love, it's going to be a huge uh, foundational skill set. So I tell everyone, learn technology as quickly as you possibly can. I say, get certifications as early as possible. Don't wait. If you're thinking about getting your master's, do it young. Life gets busy. You put it off. Being a learner, an adult learner is a lot tougher than being a young learner. So if you're thinking of an MBA, thinking of a PMP, you're thinking of a certification of any way, go ahead and get it um, as early as possible. Absolutely. I think that's all really, really great advice, especially with the technology piece. Like that's obviously becoming more and more important. And I think that is something as a way to stand out, because again, that's sort of something that even if you don't learn it in your curriculum, but you take the extra time to learn it yourself, it will really make you stand out and will be able to not only stand out to get a job, but then also to perform in your job. Um, and then also with mentorship, even if you aren't in a job yet and you're listening, that's something that I recently just started this well, last semester that um, my school hooked me up with a mentor and that's been super, super helpful. Yes. Um, so that's something you can really start and do at any stage because so many people and programs exist that want to help people in that way. So definitely um, that's great advice as well as to look for a mentor um, really whenever you can and as early as you can as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the only last thing I would say is um, commit to learning. I said it earlier but just commit to it you're working eight ten hours a day put like as you're walking outside listen to a podcast a Brene Brown podcast an Adam Grant a Simon Sinek podcast like just learn and um and it, it, you'll you'll be shocked at how that helps but then also have fun read juicy novels <laughs> do you know, be silly and play but um just learn a lot but um Absolutely. Anyway, yeah. 
I hope this helped. <laughs> it definitely did. And Lindsay, thank you so much for your time and being willing to come on today. Um, I'm so excited to share your story and advice with everyone listening. So thank you so much. And Rosa, if anyone wants to reach out to me, they can find me on LinkedIn. Um, I love to help and support um, folks like you. So however I can support you all, um, I want to make everyone successful. So thanks. Awesome. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please leave a review and rating and follow Girls Growing Corporate on TikTok and Instagram and feel free to join our LinkedIn group as well, where we post lots of great opportunities. Thanks for listening and see you next time.